Section 14 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 1 by Alexander Dumas. Translated by G. B. Ives. Section 14. THE BORGIAS, CHAPTER Seven, PART One. Matters went forward as Alexander had wished, and before the end of the year the pontifical army had seized a great number of castles and fortresses that belonged to the Orsini, who thought themselves already lost when Charles the Eighth came to the rescue. They had addressed themselves to him without much hope that he could be of real use to them, with his want of armed troops and his preoccupation with his own affairs. He, however, sent Carlo Orsini, son of Virginio the prisoner, and Vitellozzo Vitelli, brother of Camillo Vitelli, one of the three valiant Italian condottieri who had joined him and fought for him at the crossing of the Taro. These two captains, whose courage and skill were well known, brought with them a considerable sum of money from the liberal coffers of Charles the Eighth. Now scarcely had they arrived at Cita di Castello, the centre of their little sovereignty, and expressed their intention of raising a band of soldiers, when men presented themselves from all sides to fight under their banner. So they very soon assembled a small army, and, as they had been able during their stay among the French, to study those matters of military organization in which France excelled, they now applied the result of their learning to their own troops. The improvements were mainly certain changes in the artillery which made their maneuvers easier, and the substitution for their ordinary weapons of pikes similar in form to the Swiss pikes, but two feet longer. These changes effected, Vitellozzo Vitelli spent three or four months in exercising his men in the management of their new weapons. Then, when he thought them fit to make good use of these, and when he had collected more or less help from the towns of Perugia, Todi, and Narni, where the inhabitants trembled lest their turn should come after the Orsinis, as the Orsinis had followed on the Colonnas, he marched towards Bracciano, which was being besieged by the Duke of Urbino, who had been lent to the Pope by the Venetians in virtue of the treaty quoted above. The Venetian general, when he heard of Vitelli's approach, thought he might as well spare him half his journey, and marched out to confront him. The two armies met in the Soriano road, and the battle straightway began. The pontifical army had a body of eight hundred Germans, on which the dukes of Urbino and Gandia chiefly relied, as well they might, for they were the best troops in the world. But Vitelli attacked these picked men with his infantry, who, armed with their formidable pikes, ran them through, while they, with arms four feet shorter, had no chance even of returning the blows they received. At the same time Vitelli's light troops wheeled upon the flank, following their most rapid movements, and silencing the enemy's artillery by the swiftness and accuracy of their attack. The pontifical troops were put to flight, 
though after a longer resistance than might have been expected when they had to sustain the attack of an army so much better equipped than their own. With them they bore to Ronciglioni the Duke of Gandia, wounded in the face by a pike-thrust, Fabrizia Colonna, and the envoy. The Duke of Urbino, who was fighting in the rear to aid the retreat, was taken prisoner with all his artillery and the baggage of the conquered army. But this success, great as it was, did not so swell the pride of Vitellozzo Vitelli as to make him oblivious of his position. He knew that he and the Orsini together were too weak to sustain a war of such magnitude that the little store of money to which he owed the existence of his army would very soon be expended and his army would disappear with it so he hastened to get pardoned for the victory by making propositions which he would very likely have refused had he been the vanquished party and the pope accepted his conditions without demur during the interval, having heard that Travolce had just recrossed the Alps and re-entered Italy with three thousand Swiss, and fearing lest the Italian general might only be the advance guard of the King of France. So it was settled that the Orsini should pay seventy thousand florins for the expenses of the war, and that all the prisoners on both sides should be exchanged without ransom, with the single exception of the Duke of Urbino. As a pledge for the future payment of the seventy thousand florins, the Orsini handed over to the cardinals Sforza and San Severino the fortresses of Anguillara and Servetri. Then, when the day came and they had not the necessary money, they gave up their prisoner, the Duke of Urbino, estimating his worth at forty thousand ducats, nearly all the sum required, and handed him over to Alexander on account. He, a rigid observer of engagements, made his own general, taken prisoner in his service, pay to himself the ransom he owed to the enemy. Then the Pope had the corpse of Virginio sent to Carlo Orsini and Vitellozzo Vitelli, as he could not send him alive. By a strange fatality the prisoner had died, eight days before the treaty was signed, of the same malady, at least if we may judge by analogy, that had carried off Bajazet's brother. As soon as the peace was signed, Prospero Colonna and Gonzalvo de Cordova, whom the Pope had demanded from Frederick, arrived at Rome with an army of Spanish and Neapolitan troops. Alexander, as he could not utilize these against the Orsini, set them the work of recapturing Ostia, not desiring to incur the reproach of bringing them to Rome for nothing. Gonzalvo was rewarded for this feat by receiving the rose of gold from the Pope's hand, that being the highest honor His Holiness can grant. He shared this distinction with the Emperor Maximilian, the King of France, the Doge of Venice, and the Marquis of Mantua. In the midst of all this occurred the solemn festival of the Assumption, in which Gonzalvo was invited to take part. He accordingly left his palace, proceeded in great pomp in the front of the pontifical cavalry, and took his place on the Duke of Gandia's left hand. The Duke attracted all eyes by his personal beauty, set off as it was by all the luxury he thought fit to display at this festival. 
he had a retinue of pages and servants clad in sumptuous liveries incomparable for richness with anything heretofore seen in rome that city of religious pomp all these pages and servants rode magnificent horses caparisoned in velvet trimmed with silver fringe and bells of silver hanging down every here and there he himself was in a robe of gold brocade and wore at his neck a string of eastern pearls perhaps the finest and largest that ever belonged to a christian prince while on his cap was a gold chain studded with diamonds of which the smallest was worth more than twenty thousand ducats this magnificence was all the more conspicuous by the contrast it presented to caesar's dress whose scarlet robe admitted of no ornaments the result was that caesar doubly jealous of his brother felt a new hatred rise up within him when he heard all along the way the praises of his fine appearance and noble equipment from this moment cardinal valentino decided in his own mind the fate of this man this constant obstacle in the path of his pride his love and his ambition very good reason says tomaso the historian had the duke of gandia to leave behind him an impression on the public mind of his beauty and his grandeur at this fate for this last display was soon to be followed by the obsequies of the unhappy young man lucrezia also had come to rome on the pretext of taking part in the solemnity but really as we shall see later with the view of serving as a new instrument for her father's ambition as the pope was not satisfied with an empty triumph of vanity and display for his son and as his war with the orsini had failed to produce the anticipated results he decided to increase the fortune of his firstborn by doing the very thing which he had accused calixtus in his speech of doing for him viz alienating from the states of the church the cities of benevento terracino and ponticorvo to form a duchy as an appanage to his son's house accordingly this proposition was put forward in a full consistory and as the college of cardinals was entirely alexander's there was no difficulty about carrying his point this new favor to his elder brother exasperated caesar although he was himself getting a share of the paternal gifts for he had just been named envoy a la terre at frederick's court and was appointed to crown him with his own hands as the papal representative but lucrezia when she had spent a few days of pleasure with her father and brothers had gone into retreat at the convent of san sisto no one knew the real motive of her seclusion and no entreaties of caesar whose love for her was strange and unnatural had induced her to defer this departure from the world even until the day after he left for naples his sister's obstinacy wounded him deeply for ever since the day when the duke of gandia had appeared in the procession so magnificently attired he fancied he had observed a coldness in the mistress of his illicit affection and so far did this increase his hatred of his rival that he resolved to be rid of him at all costs so he ordered the chief of his sibiri to come and see him the same night Michelotto was accustomed to these mysterious messages 
which almost always meant his help was wanted in some love affair or some act of revenge. As in either case his reward was generally a large one, he was careful to keep his engagement, and at the appointed hour was brought into the presence of his patron. Cesar received him leaning against a tall chimney-piece, no longer wearing his cardinal's robe and hat, but a doublet of black velvet slashed with satin of the same colour. One hand toyed mechanically with his gloves, while the other rested on the handle of a poisoned dagger which never left his side. This was the dress he kept for his nocturnal expeditions, so Michelotto felt no surprise at that. But his eyes burned with a flame more gloomy than their wont, and his cheeks, generally pale, were now livid. Michelotto had but to cast one look upon his master to see that Cesar and he were about to share some terrible enterprise. He signed to him to shut the door. Michelotto obeyed. Then, after a moment's silence, during which the eyes of Borgia seemed to burn into the soul of the bravo, who with a careless air stood bareheaded before him, he said, in a voice whose slightly mocking tone gave the only sign of his emotion, Michelotto, how do you think this dress suits me? Accustomed as he was to his master's tricks of circumlocution, the bravo was so far from expecting this question that at first he stood mute, and only after a few moments' pause was able to say, "'Admirably, Monsignore. Thanks to the dress, your Excellency has the appearance as well as the true spirit of a captain.' "'I am glad you think so,' replied Cesar. "'And now let me ask you, do you know who is the cause that instead of wearing this dress, which I can only put on at night, I am forced to disguise myself in the daytime in a cardinal's robe and hat, and pass my time trotting about from church to church?' from consistory to consistory, when I ought properly to be leading a magnificent army in the battlefield, where you would enjoy a captain's rank, instead of being the chief of a few miserable sbiri. Yes, Monsignore, replied Michelotto, who had divined Cesar's meaning at his first word. The man who is the cause of this is Francesco, Duke of Gandia and Benevento, your elder brother. "'Do you know,' Cesar resumed, giving no sign of assent, but a nod and a bitter smile, "'do you know who has all the money and none of the genius, who has the helmet and none of the brains, who has the sword and no hand to wield it?' "'That, too, is the Duke of Gandia,' said Michelotto. "'Do you know,' continued Cesar, "'who is the man whom I find continually blocking the path of my ambition?' my fortune and my love it is the same the duke of gandia said michelotto and what do you think of it asked cesar i think he must die replied the man coldly that is my opinion also michelotto said cesar stepping towards him and grasping his hand and my only regret is that i did not think of it sooner for if I had carried a sword at my side instead of a crozier in my hand when the King of France was marching through Italy, I should now have been the master of a fine domain. The Pope is obviously anxious to aggrandize his family, but he is mistaken in the means he adopts. 
it is i who ought to have been made duke and my brother a cardinal there is no doubt at all that had he made me duke i should have contributed a daring and courage to his service that would have made his power far weightier than it is the man who would make his way to vast dominions and a kingdom ought to trample under foot all the obstacles in his path and boldly grasp the very sharpest thorns whatever reluctance his weak flesh may feel such a man if he would open out his path to fortune should seize his dagger or his sword and strike out with his eyes shut he should not shrink from bathing his hands in the blood of his kindred he should follow the example offered him by every founder of empire from romulus to bajazet both of whom climbed to the throne by the ladder of fratricide yes Nicoloto, as you say such is my condition and i am resolved i will not shrink now you know why i sent for you am i wrong in counting upon you as might have been expected Nicoloto, seeing his own fortune in this crime replied that he was entirely at caesar's service and that he had nothing to do but to give his orders as to time place and manner of execution Caesar replied that the time must needs be very soon, since he was on the point of leaving Rome for Naples. As to the place and the mode of execution, they would depend on circumstances, and each of them must look out for an opportunity and seize the first that seemed favorable. End of section 14